Well, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 168 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. I hope you're having a great summer. This week's episode features a landscape photographer and scientist hailing from upstate New York, Manuel Palacios. Manuel has a wonderful body of landscape photography work on his website, and I have always appreciated his Instagram feed. For the past several years, Manuel has spent countless days and nights wandering around and basking in the beauty of the Adirondack State Park in New York, a subject that he considers to be his muse. He and I discussed some really fun topics this week, including his obsession with the Adirondacks, how he shoots with intent, and how he has quote-unquote conversations with the landscape, uh, the relationship between science and art for Emmanuel, uh, storytelling through landscape photography, the advantages of photographing in your backyard, um, various breakthroughs that he's had as an artist, and much more. All right, well, before we get started, I did want to let our listeners know that my good friend Gary Randall still has one workshop opening left in his 2020 Alaska Photography Workshop. In my opinion, you probably could not meet a nicer guy than Gary, so I think if you go with him, you're just going to have a really great time and you're going to learn a lot. He's going to photograph bears on the Kenai Peninsula, and I think joining him sounds amazing. You can just check it out by going to gary-randall.com or heading over to the show notes. All right, let's get to the show. Manuel Palacios, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, hey, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, as you've been listening since the start. Yes, sir. Since, <laughs> basically, I, I think it always started, I remember following a, a Facebook group or something, and I saw that you were talking to John, John Secord, and I was like, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> cool, yeah, John Secord is a really cool dude, an old friend of mine. Yeah. Mine too. I, 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 I regard John as one of my mentors. <laughs> Awesome, yeah, I uh, <clears throat> I really like I really like using his um, Photoshop actions for noise reduction. I don't know if you've ever used those before, but they're actually really good. <laughs> well, I, I, the, the funny thing is, I do have uh, early action that he gave me, so I don't think I have the paid one, the official one, but I have something that he gave me before. <laughs> it's probably the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, man. Well, for people that might not know anything about you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am Manuel Palacios. I I currently reside in the Mohawk Valley in the city of Schenectady in New York. So Connecticut, I can't even say that one, dude. <laughs> Schenectady. That is actually <laughs> northwest from from Albany. Okay. So, so I am basically the capital region uh, of gotcha. New York. Not to be confused with New York City, which is sure. I mean we are still like uh, two and a half hours away. I will say. So yeah, so I currently am in the in the in the Mohawk Valley. Um, a few, I will say, about thirty minutes from the southern uh, section of the Adirondack Park. That is where I shoot most of my photography. And I am also a scientist. I am a chemist, and nowadays I work as a data scientist. Um, and yeah, and the way that I got here because i mean i guess you can hear the accent is i am originally from venezuela 
I grew up in the town of La Guaira, mostly playing baseball and surfing. Uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, it, it was fun. Um, by the time I finished, I finished college. Um, I decided I wanted to pursue grad grad studies. So I went to Ohio to Bowling Green State University to do a PhD in photochemical sciences. And then after that, I ended up in Boston doing a postdoc at Tufts University. And following that, I I kind of backpedaled back west. Uh, to the capital region because I started working for GE Global Research in Niskayuna, New York, that basically I live currently, uh, even though I don't work for GE anymore, I live just like a couple of blocks away from the place I used to work. So that's how I got to to the capital region of New York. Gotcha. So, so you're hardcore into science. Well, since I remember, I was interested in nature. So that, yes, <laughs> I think that <laughs> I, I had a um, since very early, I I was very much into arts and mostly music. That was, I guess, where I studied a little bit of music when I was a kid. And photography was a little bit different. I had a, actually a very good relationship with, with photography because my dad used to love shooting. And, you know, he had an SLR and stuff. But um, Back in Venezuela, you know, it's a third world country. Photography was still an expensive hobby. So it was really mostly an adult thing. So I do remember my dad buying me some point and shoots and stuff. And, and, and that was fun. But I, th- I think what um, I, I will say took advantage the most was of the little library that we had at home. Yeah. And this, mind you, this is before Google, right? So, <laughs> so that's, that's how I go introduced to, you know, Ansel Adams. Barbara Jensen, Arnold Newman, all these big names. And even though, I mean, I wasn't really into photography at the moment, I can tell how all that uh, aesthetics spoke to me in time. So that that's how basically, even though I, I, I mean, I continue a career in science, I always had music parallel in life. And then eventually became photography when... Basically, I, I pick up my first DSLR. I think a lot of people actually in your podcast have had a very similar story where they pick the first camera when they have the first kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so for, for I will say, about four years, I, I was very much into photography. And what I was doing in, in the lab it, when I was doing my postdoc and, and my PhD, uh, I was working with with a lot of different kind of optical setups. And so the, the, what that gave me is that the whole technical aspect of photography wasn't scary at all for me. It was, you know, I already knew what the mechanics were about. So that, that, that was actually easy. So for, I would say the first four years, I was basically learning how to shoot portraits of a baby that became a toddler, that became a kid, right? So, so by the time that Sophia, my daughter, was about four or five, I, I what I recall is five. Uh, she she stopped. She started telling me to not point the camera at her. So I decided to look for a subject that wouldn't talk back, and land, <laughs> landscape was perfect, man. And um, the funny thing was that um, I was already living in New York. I would say for about three or four years and i have heard of the adirondacks but i never bothered to to go there and 
by that time I took my first hike in the Lake George area. And man, I remember just coming out of that summit and looking at that and I, my jaw just dropped and I was like, this was here this whole time and I just didn't know. <laughs> so it, it was a good, it was a good, um, it was good timing. You know, I was trying to, you know, shoot my, uh, shift my interest to other stuff. Uh, I found that it on in a certain way and I got super interested in astrophotography. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the Adirondacks, uh, that it's not a national park. It's just a really, really big state park, right? It's, uh, it's the first, uh, it's the first land that was, uh, protected in the United States. So it's basically the first, uh, park. Now it is a state park and it's humongous. It's humongous. You can feed so many national parks in there. I don't remember the exact the exact uh, statistics, but it's something that you can feed the first, the biggest five national parks, you can feed them in the Adirondacks. Hmm. Wow. And it's a one, six, six million uh, acres. It's huge. It is huge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is oh, the same. Other than the, uh, the the sheer size of it, what is it about the Adirondacks that you love? So, I for that I have to even back that a little bit because um, I I grew up in the tropics, right? So, <laughs> right, me, a little different. I, yeah, everything was just summer. So I am I am so much into the seasons. For me, it's still is super some something super exotic. Every time I see snow, I go out and people are like. But why? <laughs> I'm like because it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> so the Adirondacks have the four seasons are just so different and so beautiful. And you know you have so many, you have everything that you can hope for. You have beautiful mountains, you have beautiful um, waterways. You have man, you have so many things in there. And the 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 beauty of it is also that. Um, you know, it's it it sees people from many places. Um, it it is very common that you will be hiking and uh, you're gonna meet people from Canada that they because I mean we are just about an hour and a half from Quebec. Mm -hmm. And you see people from Vermont and and so on. I mean, of course, in in fall in foliage season, you just see people from everywhere in the United States because it's one of the prime spots for for foliage. But and the I mean it, and at the beginning of course I was super attracted also to the fact that it has super dark skies, right uh, at night. So it, that that was I'm not gonna lie that was a big <laughs> that was a big reason to go to drive the the two hours to shoot because I mean the thing is that if you shoot just from this southern part of the Adirondacks you are still a little bit close to Albany and and Schenectady and you can see those lights. So you just have to drive a little bit further north and then you have perfect dark skies. It's, it's, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, what I like about looking through your portfolio is that you're not just focused on night photography. It's just a small piece of um, what you do. And I'm curious, you know, you're, I'm curious a little bit about your journey through night photography because I think a lot of people – it takes a lot of different paths for people. You know, some people just get hyper-focused and obsessed with it and that's all they shoot. And then some people 
they kind of dabble in it and then it gets boring, but it seems like for you, it's taken on a little bit different purpose in your photography. And I was curious what that was like for you. Yeah. So, so at the beginning, I I think that I liked Astro because I saw it as a technical challenge too. Right. So um, it was funny because when I was doing my, my postdoc, um, we developed in the lab an algorithm to look at, at single molecules. If you look at single molecules in a microscope, um, they blink just like stars will. So there are ways that you can increase your signal to noise ratio. And that's one of the things that we did and it was on images. So when I started doing astrophotography, I was like, oh, this is a cool technical thing. And <laughs> I can relate to it. So I, I, I remember the first time I took some pictures and stuff. I was, you know, I was even using my kit lens. I don't even know how I got the, the Milky Way focus on that thing. Barely focused. <laughs> so I remember taking the the file home and it took me like two weeks to write a routine in, in ImageJ. I don't know if you're familiar with ImageJ. It's a, it's a piece of software that basically it's an a open platform where you can, you know, write code to analyze images and stuff. The people in astro in in, in astrophysics uses a, a, a lot and also people that do image analysis in, in general. Right. So I remember it took me so long and stuff and I took all those photos and I was like, well, yeah, it, it was hard because I needed to align the photos first and then stack them and do all that stuff in, the, uh, in code. And it took me like two weeks and I was like, yeah, it's still blurry. This is not working well. And so I went on, finally I went online. You will think that because I am a scientist, I, should, I will do my research first. <laughs> Fail miserably. And then I realized, okay, focus stacking is something that has been done already for a couple of years in the in the field. And this is common practice. And after that, I kind of learned my lesson. So uh, the, the, the funny thing is that that's how I actually found the, the work of John. Uh-huh. And, yeah. And that's how basically how I started really getting to, into astrophotography. The, the, the funny thing was that, as you said, you know, at the beginning was a, for me, it was a craze. I loved it. I really loved it. I, I, again, I loved all the technical aspect of it. Um, but then I started, you know, realizing that, well, now what, what else is in here? When all I felt that all my photos were starting to look very similar, mm-hmm. and I think that tends to happen when you keep using the Milky Way as a subject, right? So, so yeah. So how 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 do you still how do you still tell a story that is compelling and that is not exactly the same thing just in different location, right? Or within a started in a slightly different conditions or whatever it is. So so basically, uh, what I started was one of the things that I realized um, a few years ago is that for to do night photography, what I love of, of, of night photography is that um, metaphor of, you know, we're bringing clarity or light into the dark, into something that we usually don't see. Mm-hmm. So w- what I realized is that you don't need the Milky Way to make a compelling story about a, 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 a night, a nightscape, right? So... Right. I started just to take photos at night. I mean, the, the first time I have to say was totally, uh, um, it, it, I don't, I don't want to say it was an accident because it wasn't an accident, but I wasn't looking for that. I went, I went to Saranac Lake in the Adirondacks because there was a, for a good forecast for Northern Lights. And I remember 
setting the camera and I was like, yeah, I don't think this is going to happen. Um, there were some clouds moving in um, and I was like, no, this is not happening. But you know that that, that you have to, I, I, I was like, I was a little bit in automatic going, you know, doing my due diligence, finding my composition, hoping the lights are going to be right there. And um, this is what I want in the foreground. And I kept taking photos. And I remember the, the you know, the wow moment came when I took one of the of the photos and I look in the back of the camera and I see that how amazing those clouds that were kind of starting covering the stars looked. And I was like, this is a story. I don't, I don't need northern lights. These clouds, the way that they are looking, the way that those stars that are super bright are reflecting, this tells everything that I, that, that I want to say. So then it became kind of a, if you, a little project, if you might, you know, that, that I wanted to, to see what else I could explore and how I could use uh, the night to, to tell a story. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At the, yeah, at the same time, I was trying to uh, improve my daylight photography. Um, and, and I think that that's, um, I would say my, Astro gave me the, the appreciation for trying to bring light into something that is not that evident, that is, um, even, though, even though it's right there, um, you don't see it. So mm-hmm. if, if you apply that same mindset to daylight, sometimes you know you have there how many you have there a subject, a group of subjects in a photo that they're not completely evident. It's all about how you compose so you can tell a compelling story with those um, subjects. So I think that's more or less what's the what has been the the the, the turn of of astrophotography into more uh, the uh, I will say let's call it daytime photography, but it's really any other kind of photography, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, one of the things that you had said to me on our uh, before the podcast was um, that this kind of was a, uh, I guess, a wake up call for you or a kind of a, a aha moment, and that you kind of tell people some advice now because of it, which is to shoot with intent and to shoot like you mean it. And I was curious. What exactly you meant by that? Yeah, so I think that um, that that was really one of my um, aha moments too. I mean, one, once you realize that, in order to show that connection that you have with the landscape, you really need to understand and to dig what that landscape is trying to tell you. Not just how you are feeling, but also what it's trying to tell you. Because it becomes, it really becomes a conversation, right? You have a beautiful landscape in front of you. You have a small scene in front of you. Sometimes you just have something that, uh, an abstract concept, concept that is in your mind in front of you. And you want to have that conversation of what is it trying to tell me? What is, what is, what am I trying to, what is the message that I'm trying to portray? So I often tell people, I mean, it's, it's, even when they don't ask, I say, you have to shoot like you mean it. You have to think about it. You have to stop yourself and think, what do I want from this scene? What is this scene telling me? What, I, what, 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 what is it that I'm feeling that I want, to, I want this photo to portrait? And that will guide your composition. Um, and that's why, why I always tell you, know, otherwise you're, you're taking a snapshot, right? Mm. If, if you just take your, your, your camera... And you just point it at whatever at, at a beautiful landscape. 
well, if the landscape is beautiful enough, and if you have seen that composition before, of course, you're going to have a beautiful photo. But it's not a photo that is talking about you as an artist. It's, it's just a snapshot, basically. <laughs> I like what you said about having a conversation with the landscape, because that implies that you have a relationship with that place and that, you know, trying to tell a story about a landscape when you don't have a, la- a relationship with it is really difficult to do. But, you know, asking those questions about, you know, like, hey, what are you what are you trying to tell me here? What is going on here? I think that could lead to some interesting results. I, I totally agree. I totally agree. And I, I do, uh, for example, I have these, I have many projects in my head right now. They are projects for me. <laughs> and they are not like real settled pro- uh, projects but one of the things that I do is uh, uh, these things that I call studies that is basically I just show up to the same location at different times of the year different conditions and sometimes I don't even take a photo but I want to see how the light or how those conditions uh, interact with the landscape and you know I mean what I really enjoy is that sometimes I am, you know, in, in that ledge that I have sat already 15 times <laughs> and I still, you know, I see the light coming and I still feel, you know, that adrenaline rush of taking the tripod out because you know exactly what you want because you are seeing it and that the light is interacting with the landscape in a way that you didn't see before. And, you know, it's, I think actually that's, that's why we love photography so much it's you know that feeling that you feel that adrenaline rush that is just coming to you when you see exactly what what you want to the the story that you want to tell finally in front of your eyes either because it's coming through composition because the light is helping you or whatever it is you do have to have that conversation yeah i think my favorite photography moments come when i'm surprised by something that i wasn't expecting to see you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) <laughs> I, I hear you. Yeah, I mean, it, it is, it is in the elements, right? I mean, sometimes is. Um, I, I recently uh, posted on. I haven't even released that on my on my website, but I posted a photo from a place that is a mile away from my house, and maybe two miles, maybe two miles. And I have driven through that place many times, but it was that day that I had some fog that isolated the subject in a certain way that was like, wow. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's like Christmas. And I do, I do plan a lot of, a lot of my shots. You know, I do think, I mean, it's, uh, and as you see, I just, I, I already mentioned the stories, right? I mean, the, there is no much of an element of surprise or, or it is more of trying to understand the landscape. It's really not like sometimes like uh, this, you know, the photo, comes in front of you and you're like, whoa. So it is true. I do have a lot of um, my photography that is, I, I don't, I don't want to say planned because it sounds like you're trying to follow a script. And that's actually why I usually avoid. I, I try to not follow, you know, uh, uh, a script. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, but it's true that, that, I mean, as some of my photos, I do plan with, with time and others are just photos that I've been storing for a very long time, right? Locations that I've been storing for a long time and I, I can see the composition change, changing depending on the time of the year and stuff like that. So, but, but, but those are planned, but it's true. 
the true joy comes when it comes out of the, the photo comes out of nowhere. I think that you can agree with me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Although there is there is something to be said for you know planning planning ahead and then everything coming into place just the way you expected it to. There's it's pretty gratifying too. <laughs> yeah, when it happens. <laughs> right. Exactly, which is not that often. <laughs> no, no. And and that's it. that's the biggest difference I, I always feel uh, with shooting your backyard, in my case, the Adirondacks and the Mohawk Valley, I will say that is the greater area where I live. And when I go to Iceland, right? Um, because when you go to Iceland, when you go to Ireland, where you go, when, when you're traveling, you have to make lemonade. You know, you are, you, you can plan as much as you want. And it's awesome to plan those shots. Um, but you haven't been there. You don't, you don't know uh, what's going to happen. You don't know if you don't, how you're going to feel the place. And it, it's very tempting to go for the, you know, the trophy shot, the the icon shot, as I call them. And mm-hmm. I always think that there are some icon shots that you have to get out of the system. Uh, but 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 it's true that you know the <laughs> it, it it is true that that shooting your backyard, the advantage that gives you is that you can show up show up at the same place as many times as you need, so you can get the light conditions that you are expecting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Although I do have a repertoire of photos that haven't happened yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, th- I think we all do, and that's what I think that's what makes um, photography such an interesting pursuit. Because if you stick with it and don't get you know bummed out when you get skunked, I think you know it it can fill fill you for a lifetime. I yeah, and that's that's what this is about. I don't. And I don't, I don't think, I think that the output, the fo- the photographs are important, but I don't think that this is about the photographs. I think this is about the journey. I think, I know it's been said a thousand times, but it's really about the journey. It's, it's what, it, you know how I, I think um, in Spanish, they, they say something like um, uh, fishing is more than the fish. So I feel exactly the same way about photography. It's more than photography. It's more than it's more than the photographs. It's, it's more, more than, than the, the final 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 product. Yeah. Yep. And I would say for probably a lot of photographers, the final product is more of an afterthought. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. 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 I I I agree. I, I agree. haven't quite gotten there myself, but me neither. But you know what? I have realized that um, I have become. Um, and, and and I think I, I told you this before. I mean, um, I hate using buzzwords, but I, I have become more mindful, you know, and it is really due to photography. Um, you become more aware of your surround, surroundings. You learn to leave the photo, the exposures that you are taking at the moment to enjoy the landscape in front of you instead of worrying about the photo that you didn't get or the photo that you are going to get that you never know if you can get it. <laughs> so I, I think that, that 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 in a way, I mean, you know, photography has centered me and it has made me think more about, you know, enjoying what is in front of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You also mentioned that, uh, that you've, one of the other breakthroughs that you've had is that photography has been a way for you to express kind of your your introspective thought process. And I was curious what you meant by that. 
yeah, it's it's basically that, right? I mean, and there is a lot of. I actually was talking to one of my uh, friends uh, from 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 the area that sometimes we the photography that we show is not exactly the photograph the kind of photographers that we are, and um, meaning that there are more. Um, I want to say. Ways that you see nature, say uh, the way that you see, uh, well, we can become a little bit more philosophical <laughs> and say the way that we see reality, right? Um, and how how that how photography can become a conduit to show your way of looking at the world, right? Um, and it really, I, I would say that it's a conversation of how the what kind of subjects you want to use. Um, for example, recently uh, I started working on on waterfalls. Um, I, I had a, a big project with a local magazine, Adirondack Life magazine, and we did a study where we wanted to focus on 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 waterfalls. But the the, the real story behind is um, we are realizing the Adirondacks uh, because they're because of the good and the bad things of social media. Um, there has been a lot of attention to certain areas, and not all areas can take the same amount of traffic. So one of the things that people are trying to see, since we have six million six millions acres that you know of wilderness, we just have to show people that there are other parts of the Adirondack, not just not just the big hops like the High Peaks or Lake George, that are also beautiful. So you start trying to look for projects or you try to depict you know what what is bothering you in my case in my case um is that i am seeing that there is an insane amount of traffic now in the high peaks and sometimes it's you know it it's disturbing and i wanted to do something about it so i i realized that i started focusing on places that were not the high peaks because i mean that you there is really so many areas in the in the Adirondacks that are beautiful and worth uh, visiting that I want to show that to people. And in a way, what I'm what, what I'm showing is that you know that I'm sensitive to what is going on in there. Mm-hmm. And it is funny because sometimes you don't realize uh, that until later. You're like, oh yeah, that maybe this is why. And I mean, with that regard, I mean, I do remember a particular um, event was I will say. Three years ago, um, 2017, I took my first um, spring hike. I, I would say it was somewhere. It was early spring. It was it was very early spring, so it, there was snow all over the, the mountains. And I remember I started hiking a very popular um, mountain that is, is Cascade Mountain. Okay. And as I was taking the hike, I started smelling a lot of you know human waste oh and, <laughs> and, you know i mean I, I i was going there for for sunrise and we're talking about i'm taking starting the hike at 2 to 30 in the morning so man i got so upset i was like i it i knew that it that would it totally took me out of my groove i just turned back and went back to the car and i was like I am not hiking this mountain again for a while because, <laughs> and I haven't I haven't been back since since 2017. So, what was the cause of all that? 
Well, I think that, that, that it probably was a mix. I mean, a lot of people, there are no like porta potties there. So, you know, people have to go and do their business. But apparently, I am guessing that a lot of people do their business in a very, you know, a specific area. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I am guessing because, I mean, it, it was spring, starting stuff was starting to melt a little bit. Uh-huh. The smells were all over the place at the beginning of the hike. So, but, but man, I mean, I, I, I remember I was like, yeah, this is not, you, you know, th- there is a moment where you say, where it clicks for you. Yeah. The, people will have different triggers for that. But for me, that was the day that I was like, no, yeah, this is, this is too much. And I mean, I, I, I have hiked other high peaks since then, but I didn't come back to Cascade, even though it's a beautiful mountain. It's a 360 degree view and you can see all the high peaks in all directions. Beautiful. But, yeah. <laughs> man, it was too much. <laughs> yeah, it sounds disgusting. So yeah. what other what other um, ways have you found that the photography has allowed you to express yourself? Well, I, I think it's mostly with um, – I, I already talked about that. The, what, what I'm trying to do usually is, you know, to express that connection, you mm-hmm. know, between <laughs> me and the landscape. And – as we mentioned before, it's really a conversation, you know? So sometimes the, the, the conversation, I let nature be the, you know, the, the, the main actor. And because I mean, sometimes all I am doing is, you know, receiving all I, all I am, I, all I am getting is everything from the landscape. I really don't have to impose myself. I don't have to put, impose my artistic vision on the scene is just whatever it is, you know? F14 or 16, whatever, depending on your lens, nice composition, and you just shoot maybe bracketed so so, so you don't clip any highlights, but that's all you have to do. Um, other times you do have to, to other times it's more like, you know, I, I was there, I, I remember, um, you know, not feeling good or feeling euphoric and i want to i want the photo to show that so i will expose a little i am going to expose a quarter of a stop more so the it looks a little bit brighter or i will do that in post processing too so that that's kind of the the it i i like i it's a conversation uh, some, sometimes i do uh, want to show my vision, you know, my what my feeling was at the moment, how I feel about the place. Uh, you know, if I if I want to 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 if if I, for example, I mean that that, that typical example of you know sometimes you are in a gorge and um, you know that you're walking toward a, a cascade or a waterfall, and then all of a sudden you see the waterfall and it's like wow, so right so yeah, absolutely I mean, and it, uh, yeah so i want to show that in my photo i want to show that wow and sometimes it's you just make it look a little dreamy right you uh, apply a little bit of orton effect very carefully not too much <laughs> 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 yeah there has been an abuse of orton uh, across the board on instagram so <laughs> I think I think that, that that's one of those things that people discover them and then they overdo it. It's like the clarity slider when you're studying photography. Right, or saturation. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so saturation is like, I always tell everybody that, that, that when I teach, I always say saturation is like sugar. 
too much of it, and it's just not good. I'm setting my saturation to 11. <laughs> <laughs> All the way to 11. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> and the vibrancy. <laughs> it's funny. I almost never use either of those anymore. I do it all in Photoshop. But anyway, we digress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're getting too technical, man. I know, I know. People don't care about that stuff. No, they might. I don't know. Um, well, one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about was this kind of dichotomous relationship that you have between science and art. And I think for a lot of people that are photographers, it seems like there's quite a few people that are they kind of have a science background or an engineering background or a computer science background. And I think in my studies so far of people, it seems like a lot of that's just because of, you know, with the technical background, the the technical side of photography is very approachable and it's not a barrier. So, you know, it's easy to get into it. Um, but then people often find the creative side to be more of a challenge or, you know, a completely wide open door that has no boundaries or, you know, there's just the sky's the limit. So I'm curious about the relationship between art and science for you. So the, the, there are different levels for that. <laughs> so, so the, yeah, the, the, I will say, I mean, that to, you, you are totally right. I mean, the, it is true that, you know, I mean, for, for me, photography was just not scary technically. Right. And for some people, it's, it, it can be daunting because it's it's one thing after the other, right? I mean, you you learn how to use your camera, and then you learn how to expose, do I mean exposure correctly, and then you realize, oh, now I need to learn how to post-process the photos correctly, <laughs> and, and then right. you need to learn how to print correctly. So it, it is always a, a, a challenge. By the way, I'm still challenged by printing. I waste so much paper and I am ashamed <laughs> of it, but that's the only way I can get prints right. <laughs> I digress again. I'm sorry. No, but, print, printing is tough for sure. It, yeah, it, it is pretty tough. Um, but but I think that that I mean one of the things that that it is true, and since the technical part is not a problem, hey, you you are. It is true that it kind of uh, frees you to to think about other stuff. I, I have learned many techniques, right? Uh, but one thing that that I don't want to to ever doing with my photography is to, and that's where sometimes you know there are a lot of parallelisms, and sometimes the parallelism ends. For example, for me, um, I try not to follow formulas or scripts, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I don't, I. Of course, I, I and I always tell my students that too. I always say, learn all the compositional rules so you can break them. <laughs> because I mean, there there are two uh, two ways in in science. I always thought of two ways to approach a problem. Uh, either and and usually to solve a problem, you have to think outside of the box. But to think outside of the box, you have to either know everything that is in the box, or you just naively approach the problem. You don't know. What's in the box, and you might be able to come with a, a different solution, but that is really hard because mm -hmm. I mean there is a lot of people that are really smart before you doing this. So that's why I always say it's better to just learn everything that is in the box so you can break it <laughs> and not <laughs> and not care about what's in the in the box because I mean a lot of those things are helpful. I mean all the compositional rules are, are helpful. We all 
keeping in mind um, there are a lot of technical aspects that are that are helpful to um, a silly one focus stacking right I mean sometimes you really want to be focused tack sharp from from to the back of the photo but you don't really need that all the time right so so you have the tool and you can use it but but you have to make the creative decision of how you are going to use it or if you are not going to use it mm-hmm. so I, I think that that was that's a little bit the is some of the parallelism with 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 science i mean i feel that that um in in a way breakthroughs inside usually comes by thinking outside of the box so you don't want to you don't want to get into a um a formula of how to make your photography so the, the other thing is that that um I'm, and I, I am trying to think what because i have a couple of things that i usually tell my students and and they come from from science I mean, I can I can tell that I am bringing that from science. Well, I mean, of course, the attention to detail is one of um, the the most important ones. The other one is I am never afraid to start from scratch, and that is totally coming also from from my science background. I know it fits from there because I had when I did my PhD, I started as a synthetic chemist. I was doing organic chemistry. I was making molecules. Uh, then I uh, transitioned into analytical chemist even though nobody was an analytical chemist in my group. Then I transitioned to something else. And nowadays I am a data scientist that, you know, it it, it, it does relate with, with chemistry because it's, I am a data scientist that deals with chemical data. So I'm a chemometrician. But, you know, I'm not afraid basically to start from scratch anything. So that's why, I mean, am I going to take on, um, I don't know, abstracts okay let's do it you know what i mean like let's see what <laughs> works i mean r- right now really the challenge is macro oh my god man macro is so hard <laughs> it really is <laughs> for me too have you ever felt like um when it comes to science and art that you have to kind of put one on the back burner um so yes yes and this is something i mean um one of the things and this is you know Things happen sometimes, and you don't you don't you don't expect them. So one of the things that I love to do is to give talks, and apparently people uh, they have good reception. So um, and somehow I somebody came to one of my talks, and they you know said somebody put me in contact with somebody with some high schools, and I end up doing a series of talks in high school. And one of the things that I that I realized is because um, like me, probably like you, a lot of people, you know, that have a, 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 a appreciation for nature and for arts, you have always a dichotomy going, right? You you don't know if you want to be an artist, you don't know if you want to be a, a, a scientist. Uh, and it is true. I mean, for many years, I put my all my um, art inclinations a little bit in the back burner. I mean, I always listen to music. I always uh, love going to the museums, but it is true that since I started um, college, I didn't do much art for for very long time. I am calling I am calling it art, right? But it is really that creative creativity. Yeah, you're creating something from nothing. Exactly, and sometimes you do have to do that for a while. And it is it, it is true. I mean, it came the time uh, when I started working 
for GE that I realized, well, now I have more time to do other, to have other creative, creative pursuits. And I think that's how I go back. But it is true. And, and in the daily life, um, I, I'm still, you know, full-time scientist. I do work from home, which is an advantage because uh, I have a flexible schedule so I can go f- for, for sunrise somewhere and then still work my eight hours. Yeah, right. Okay. That is never eight hours. It's always more, but um, it is good to have a, a, a flexible schedule. And the people in my company are super supportive, so it is. It, it's it's been great. But there are moments that you know I know that the skies are clear tonight, and you know I could be shooting the photograph that I the astro photo that I planned for a couple of years, but I have to do this, so you have to put on a black back burner because I mean you know priorities. Yeah, well, life. <laughs> You know, life happens and you got, sometimes you got to focus on what pays the bills. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, and I mean, to, truth to be told, I love what I do. I love science. Um, it is, it is uh, an important part of me, as important as photography is. And I'm, but I mean, with a caveat that actually pays the bills. <laughs> I'm, so I'm curious, how, how has your background in science made you a better artist? Well, I think we, we have talked a little bit about it. You know, attention to detail in uh-huh. science is very important. That, that that I think the most important one will be willingly listening to critique, you know, seeking hmm. critique. Um, that is something that is embedded in the in, in science, in, in the scientific right. community, because, I mean, we you cannot get published if you are not peer-reviewed. Right. So it is... Scientists are used to having people tell them their research doesn't make sense. Exactly, and and you and you have to. I mean, you cannot afraid to be wrong. Right. To 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 be at the front edge of science, you cannot be afraid to be wrong. You're gonna be wrong, and that's how you that's how you advance. And it's exactly it's not, the same thing with photography. It's not, and it's not personal. <laughs> no, that's the yeah, that's the worst part, right? When people sometimes the the worst part is when they ask you for a critique and then you give a what you think is a you know a, a good critique. Um, never mean intention or anything but you know i mean sometimes they think that you made the wrong creative choice because of this this of that and but that's my opinion that's my opinion only you know doesn't mean that it's wrong it means that i that i would have have a different decision making you know what i mean and then people get mad because you know you don't you don't tell them that what they wanted to hear but but yeah i mean i i think that that i love listening to to critique i you know i often bounce photos by uh, some of my friends <laughs> that's yeah. something that that we do and i was like man i, I mean i i already spent four hours processing this shot and i have no idea why still i am still not convinced and sometimes I'm, sometimes it's you know yeah now manny you're crazy uh, that shot is fine or Man, that's total garbage. That's why it doesn't convince you because it was it was bad to begin with. So, all right, that's that's good. I know <laughs> now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that the other thing that 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 I like from from I, I, that I often think actually is is the concept of objective truth, right? Um, in, in science, we know that that. I mean, we, it, we we don't even talk about it, but but because I mean, it's 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 known that as humans we are um, in, in a way limited, right, with our senses. Absolutely. And yeah, we know that that all we can see are you know 
RGB colors and the combination of them, even though we have a huge electromagnetic spectrum. So, so we know that objective truth is something um, that you can, it doesn't matter what angle you look at, it is always going to be exactly the same. It doesn't matter how many times you measure it, uh, how many different techniques you use to measure that objective truth, it doesn't change, and that's what you call an objective truth. Uh, in photography, that's something that is kind of a gray area, right? Because a lot of people, uh, documentary photographers, for example, um, they, they feel like, well, I am taking a photo, I am not doing any post-processing. I am taking it right as it comes out of the camera, and that's that's the truth. And so, well, I mean, that's, what you are doing there is just disregarding uh, lens distortion. Um, you are disregarding the uh, any fallout that, that might come in the sensor, right? I mean, how that sensor is, uh, how the software that was written to read that sensor is working and all that stuff. So that's why I'm, you know, Sometimes I, I always tell people, you know, photography is, it's not the truth. I mean, how, how many times, I mean, you can, I think the easiest example is, is a lens distortion, right? I mean, what, what happens with your, with your wide angle at the, at the edges, right? Everything is super distorted. Um, what happens when you, when you zoom in and zoom compress and things that are really far away look together, look like they are next to each other. That is all optical illusions. So that's the part where I feel like, you know, in, in science we are, it, it's also, you know, embedded. We know that objective truths are very little. There are not that many. And I think that in photography, that's one thing that, that I try. I often, I find myself often thinking about that because there is a lot of, um, you know, photo manipulation and how how much you can do in post-processing and what how much do you feel comfortable with and, you know, what artistic licenses you are taking in your, in your photographs. Uh, and all of those are different and valid forms of art. Um, but you have to subscribe to something, you know, and it, it, I don't think there is right or wrong. It's just what do you look at and what you enjoy and what you don't. But uh, you just have to tell people right up front what you what you are showing them, and that's why sometimes you see in my post that I, I, I mean, if if I am posting something on Instagram, I say, oh yeah, I shot this photo, and this is a long exposure blend with a short exposure. Uh, I just um, posted a picture from a Bandon in in Oregon, mm-hmm. and the foreground is it's like a half a second exposure. But I took a bunch of photos because the birds, there were birds flying around the, the stacks. And I mean, in the only way to get a bird is that you have to expose pretty quickly. So right. I, I took a bunch of exposures that were quick and I blended those. Right. So, but I don't do, I don't do composites. I don't, I have nothing against them. I think that there are some people that are really amazing at them and, they usually tell you right up front this is a composite, um, but that's something that I don't subscribe to. But yeah, I mean, like you said, it's there's there's really no such thing as truth in photography. There's yeah. varying degrees of presenting reality or lack thereof. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, um, uh, again, I think it, it's it's. 
again, that, and there, I think that there's people that are great. I wish I was that good at Photoshop because I will, I will probably be post-processing way faster. <laughs> well, I think there's a huge difference between changing your shutter speed to get a bird that was actually there sharp versus taking a bird from a completely different scene or even continent and putting that in the same scene. I mean, I th- those are two very different things. Now, one could make an argument that eh, it's just varying degrees of the same thing. I I could see that, but at least one of them is rooted in the fact that as the person that experienced that scene, there were birds there that you saw, you know? Yeah, yeah no, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and that's all That's all I want to bring to the table. That's basically my my... My my spiel on that will be just that you know that that I I really want to what I show is what was there. Uh, sometimes uh, it might be apart by a few minutes, or sometimes you know right. by a few seconds. But it, I didn't move the tripod because otherwise it's a nightmare for <laughs> for alignment. <laughs> but but you know I mean that, that again nothing against composites. Um, some people actually nail it and it's beautiful. And, you know, when, when these people are true artists and they mean it, sometimes they are trying to make a statement, you know, when they shoot a beach in the West Coast and put a bird that you that everybody knows is just lives in Africa, you know, and maybe there is an art, artistic statement behind that. And I respect that. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's. Yeah, no, it's. It's, it's a different thing. It's, it's just it probably not, not, not as close to fo- photography as you know, detail art. Well, it's just, it's just funny because I think why composites are so compelling is that they're relying on um, the general public's assumption that photography is rooted in reality. When, when it comes to digital art, there is no reality. So it's, you know, you're, you're using people's assumptions a bit about photography to your advantage to, to trick them into thinking, uh, unless, unless you're upfront saying this is, my, this was a digital art creation. That's that's different story, but it's so funny. This weekend, I saw someone do that. They uh, they posted this super outlandish composite image that you know, and one of their Facebook friends was like, "Holy crap! What? Where is this place?" You know, because in the, on the description, they just like it wasn't even like a description. They did like a quote or something. It was they were just trying to you know get people to like their image or whatever. And of course he replied like, oh, this isn't, this isn't a real place. This is like a composite that I created. And then the person was like, oh, you know, you could tell they were disappointed. (laughs) And then I said, well, why didn't you just like disclose that from the beginning? And then they got super defensive about it. I I shouldn't have to do that and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, you would have avoided this awkward conversation that the, you just had to have with this other person that thought this was something you experienced and it wasn't. Yeah, I've been blocked up a few times because of that. And, <laughs> and the thing, no, but the thing is that people don't realize that there might be like real world consequences, even even though they are silly and nobody will die from it. There are real world consequences. I remember it, this time I, it was. I think like a year ago, somebody posted a photo of a very well-known um, place in the Adirondacks, Connery Pond. And it's like one of the most emblematic mountains in, in the Adirondacks. There's White Face. Everybody knows that from Connery Pond to White Face, you look north. And oh. this person, <laughs> yeah, so this here person. We, here we go. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. They compose a Milky Way. And I mean, you know, I think within the couple of hours, because of course, I mean, people, they start getting likes and they start getting attention because I mean, it's, it's a very impressive photo. Well, <laughs> it's a very course, impressive, it's a very impressive piece of art yeah, that piece of art. is Image. assuming assuming the viewer thinks that it's a real experience exactly so that was the problem that i started having um people that i have you know taken in tours and stuff asking me manny how come we have you didn't take me to take this photo how come you haven't taken this photo and i was like because that photo is impossible you <laughs> cannot take that photo in that way i mean at least the core will never be there <laughs> Right. So, so yeah, it was, I have to tell tell this person like, yeah, just say that it's a composite. I have nothing against you, and he got also super defensive, and and that's when you kind of realize that why they are doing it. They don't want to say it. You know, it's a difference when when you see people that you know that you right. know they they just upfront tell you this is my art, and there's people that yeah. are just you're trying to get likes and whatever. But it's, yeah, it's I totally, annoying. Yeah, I totally respect it when people are like, hey, this is. This is my artistic creation. Um, this does. This isn't a real experience that you can have. You know, I I totally respect that. It's when people get called out on it and then they get defensive. That's when I get bothered because really, it's you're basically hoping no one catches you. I mean, it's like I don't know. It's like you want to steal some candy from the grocery store. I don't know. I'm I'm out of I'm out of analogies. I've talked about this topic too many times. Yeah, no, I hear you. I, I, I hear you. I hear you, and I I, I totally I mean I totally get it because I think that we all been there. You know that that sometimes you see a phone and you're like, what the heck? And then you look at it in the map and you're like, wait, there's no way that this person could have taken this photo. I mean, it's more more evidently with uh, with astrophotos because I mean very quickly into astrophotography, you know where things are in, in the night sky. Right. Um, I mean, but that's, I mean, that's, that's why I started getting really upset by composites is as a night photographer, you know, you work your ass off to try to find compositions where the Milky Way is lined up in a certain way. Yeah. Well, if you're a good composite artist, you don't even have to do that. You can go to a place, take a photo, and then composite the Milky Way wherever you want it to be. Yeah. And yeah, it looks great, but man. <laughs> well, it's a, it's just a, it, it's a different thing, right? And with and it's the a problem totally is, different thing. It's a totally different thing, and the problem is that those two photographs are going to be um, you know, seen from with the same light. And that's kind of the I mean, if if nobody says anything, right? If if the people are not up front and say this is a composite. I mean, Right, that's the problem. People are going to this one Unless, unless they're a photographer, they're going to look at that photo, both of those photos, and they're going to say they're both really good photos um, or they're both really good final products, whatever you want to call it. But I think that, you know, you always hear people say, well, it's art. Like, who cares? You know, let, let them do whatever they want. And for me, it's like the problem with that is that photography is literally the only art form that is rooted in the idea that people assume – it was of a real thing or a, or an experience of a thing. An know? experience of, yeah, exactly. I will say it's an experience of a thing and, uh, you know, whatever is the interpretation of your combination of lens, camera, photographer gives you, right? Right. Um, and I think when you fail to disclose that it's not 
what's not based on a real thing, you're taking advantage of people's um, assumptions at, to your advantage so that you can gain likes or whatever. I mean, there's really no other reason to do it at that point. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they, I mean, I am guessing that some people might sell the, their their art too. Um, but yeah. Oh, yeah. But what they know I, that I, if they tell people, if they tell people that, you know, it's not a real experience, they won't sell. Because yeah. it takes away the, it takes away, you know, the surprise value in people's face. Like, oh, that, that was, that's, that's amazing. How did you do that? You know, it's like when, I don't know. I've, I've actually done experiments where I've, you know, showed different people the same photo that's a composite. And I've, on one group of people, I've told them that it was, you know, created in Photoshop. And another group of people, I've told them, didn't tell them anything. And you could tell who, which people were impressed and which ones weren't, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I totally get that. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, the, the other thing is that the, the illusion behind the, the, the photograph, right? That, I, okay, you are depicting this scene, this landscape. I might not be able to see it with my own eyes exactly in that way, but I can be in that place. And right. perhaps I can take the same picture. Or, or I can have know. a similar experience that you had. Exactly. And once the composite is revealed, then there is no such a thing. But yeah, I mean, it's a letdown it, too. Yeah, but but at the same time, you know, I mean, there is a lot to be said about, I mean, what you can, you know, do with your imagination and what you want to make out of, of um, absolutely art. Hundred percent. So, <laughs> just don't I, tell people. I mean, the thing is, I don't want to come. I don't want to come across a negative about composite because I mean, I have friends, man, that are freaking amazing at it. You know, and and so I do too. And and some of their photos are like jaw dropping, you know. And they are also not just good in Photoshop; they're amazing photographers. Um, and I don't take anything from them, but but they are absolutely upfront with what they are doing. And sometimes it's just evident, right? Because sometimes they are making like a Game of Thrones kind of a scene, so it's absolutely evident that it's a composite. <laughs> <laughs> but... Yeah, I think I think it, honestly, like. Just don't call it a photograph. Yeah. Well, I mean, image. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Call it. Call it your art. Call, I mean, own it. This is my my digital art. That's right. <laughs> and if if someone says, "Well, I don't want to call it digital art. It's a photograph," I'm say like, mm, "It's a digital art creation based on photographic material." Right. I mean, that's like that's like saying a documentary film should be held to the should be able to compete against the CGI movie like in it's you're never gonna make the avengers you know like (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's what kills me about photo contests too like epson pano awards and stuff like that like they don't differentiate at all between digital art creations and and photographs that are mostly based on straight straight photography it's like it's like pitting a low budget documentary against uh cgi totally green room green screened movie like they're both they both can be artwork but they're not even remotely this comparable like it's different category i i I, yeah i I, i'm not saying one is one is better than the other i'm just saying they're different so don't they're different yeah yeah just don't say they're the same thing 
Yeah, that's all. Uh, that's all I'm arguing for. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, and they are not. They are not. Yeah. All right. So, uh, the flip side of the earlier question I asked about how does science uh, make you a better artist? I was also curious to hear if you thought that being an artist, how does that affect your science? That's a great question, man. Uh, I will say, I don't know. The, the, I will say, I will say this. Creativity is important. Um, most of my um, science career, uh, I realized that the solutions that work are the solutions that you arrive to through a creative process. Um, of course, I mean, they're based on knowledge. They're based on uh, facts. But you need to be creative. You need to approach things from different angles. You know, you, you need to see things in different light. You see how all the <laughs> all the metaphors that I'm trying to use, <laughs> <laughs> right? So, so, so it, it is true. It is true that that I, I mean, I think that the reason why for me was also easy, or easy no, it wasn't bothersome. I would say to put my my music it, that was what I was doing mostly at the time. In the in the back burner when I started doing my PhD was because I really had to be darn creative during my PhD to solve problems, and so all those creative juices that you use in that 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 you use as an artist you use also in 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 science. Um, true, I mean uh, as we just uh, said, I mean that there is an, and. I told you before that you know that I have that constant conversation in, in my head about um, objective truth and and so on and so forth. Um, but but it is true that I do look at uh, at my science with a very creative approach. I mean, I try to see all the angles, and I don't take you know what what's published. Like, I, let's say that I have to solve a problem, and this has been published that this is a way to solve it. Wait, wait a minute. I mean, we have all these tools. Why wouldn't this work? Might they might be better or they might be worse? But why? So you learn a lot from from that process. And I think that that probably um, how how it might feed from from a, an artistic pursuit. Um, yeah, I think I, th- I think really it's it is funny because it feels like a like a dichotomy, but it, I don't think it's really two things. I think it's just you know. It is two 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 sides of the same coin, I maybe. <laughs> well, I like I like the fact that it has allowed you to advance your scientific thought process kind of in a direction that has a little bit more creativity. Because I think you're right; that's when a lot of the scientific breakthroughs happen is when people start to get you know crazy with their thought process, and that doesn't always come naturally for scientists. I think. Yeah, I mean, some people. I, I think that that. Well, I mean, if it, it is funny, right? If you think about the greatest scientists in the history of humanity, they were all super creative. That's that's why they that's that's why they are who they are. Um, but it's true that a lot of people, uh, you know, buy into the method, and you just want to, you know, try to solve the problem step by step. Not not everybody has the same kind of creativity. It is true, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yep. Well, so who would you like to hear on the podcast? So, man, I I I didn't have to think too hard about this because I just have too many people that I would love to hear from. 
Uh, one of them is uh, my friend Benjamin Williamson. Yeah, he, man. Do you know you know Ben? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, you have to have him over, man. He's awesome. And besides, he also he's also an editor, right? So he can give you the perspective of how magazines look at the work of photographers and stuff like that. Uh, the other person will be Robert Rodriguez Jr. I don't know if you have heard of him. You know him? I feel like the name rings a bell, but I'm not connecting. Yeah, he's he's a landscape photographer here in the Hudson Valley. So he's a little bit further south from where I am. He's closer to New York City. Uh, amazing work. I don't know him personally. Uh, I I don't even think I have um, exchanged um, emails with him, but I have watched so many of his YouTube videos for printing that, <laughs> <laughs> that I feel like I know him. <laughs> but, oh, that's always but, cool. Yeah, but but I mean, he's great, great vision, beautiful photography. So I think that he's another guy from the UK. Uh, I, do you know a gentleman uh, named uh, Finn Hobson? Uh, sounds familiar as well. Man, his photography is just beautiful. He's so like down to the forms. It's beautiful photography. Very interesting concept uh, i've been obsessed with finn hobson for a while beautiful beautiful photography even though i mean it is funny because i feel like some of my favorite photographers make photography that i don't make and then mm-hmm. i at the moment i don't really like digging for example i mean when people ask me oh no usually it's the assumption right this ansel adams is your favorite photographer i mean from all times. <laughs> and I was like, I love Ansel Adams' work, but I mean, Arnold Newman is like my favorite photographer ever. I mean, it's, you know, and, and, and I don't do portraiture. So, <laughs> right. but I love his work. Um, for, from, and I, I would say, man, from, from this side of the US, you know, I mean, I have my, my friend, Josh Lowe in Kentucky, beautiful freaking photography. Uh, Nikhil Nagain, from here in New York also, man, it's amazing. And, you know, I mean, there, there are so many people that, yeah. that, you know, that, that, that make amazing photography. And honestly, I think that that's the great value of social media is getting exposed to all these super talented people that you can exchange ideas with and learn from each other. And these are, these are some, some of the names that, that, that I just gave are people that I just bounce photography from. Like you know, John Seeker, you know, but you already had John in the in the in the show. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I actually think that John was like number two, right? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, I appreciate you uh, taking the time to to chat and getting to know you a little bit. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for for the invite and well. Um, all the best, man. Yeah. So, what? Just real quick, what? Uh, how can people find out more about your work, like on Instagram or your website? Yeah, in Instagram, I at Zone Three Photo, and there you will find all the links. My website is also zonetreephoto.com. And at the moment, um, all the workshops and tours have been canceled, uh, but I am still teaching post processing over. Not, not over Skype anymore, but I am still uh, teaching post-processing cool. and, and giving critiques. I like that. Well, thanks again, man. man. <laughs>
<laughs> constructive. I like yeah. it. <laughs> oh, oh, thank man. you, Matt. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks to Manuel for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate having these candid chats with such a variety of great photographers. I love your work, man, so keep it up. Well, I'm always looking for ways to support our small community of photographers, so if you have an idea for the podcast, please reach out and let's chat about it. I also love to keep things as interesting and new as possible, so if you have topic ideas, guest suggestions, or ways of helping us out in any way, please contact me. I'm also trying my best to keep the show going, and honestly, the support on Patreon keeps my drive alive. So thank you to all of our wonderful patrons on Patreon for supporting me. It really does mean the world. I know I say it all the time, but I'm not sure how else to express my gratitude, so thank you. Also, thanks to our latest patron, uh, Christina Mader. I appreciate you supporting us here on the show. If you're on the fence about supporting the show, I get that. I personally support a podcast here on Patreon, as well as another photographer, Guy Tao. I think it's important that we financially support the things that we consume and value. If it makes it sound any more awesome, I do send you a personalized video, some stickers, and you get access to bonus material. I've been trying to release uh, some episodes early for patrons as well. Let's chat about how, what we have coming up. It's a packed schedule. I recently recorded with uh, Margaret Suraya. Suraya? Man, I cannot. I'm suck. I suck at names. Sorry about that. <laughs> she is a wonderful photographer living in the Highlands of Scotland. We had such a wonderful con- uh, discussion about mindfulness and slowing down and her philosophical approaches to our craft. I also recently recorded with my friend Joseph Roybel. He's a photographer in Denver, Colorado, and he does a lot of work with different brands. So it was great getting his perspective on that side of the photography business. I'll also be recording soon with Elizabeth Brentano. She's done some really amazing work in Africa, showcasing wildlife. And I've been really looking forward to recording soon with William Neal. Uh, He is a legend in our craft, so I'm hoping that it will be a great conversation. Tonight, I'll also be talking with David Brookover. He owns a gallery in uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming, so I'm looking forward to that. And soon we'll be talking with Bree Stockwell and Felix Inden. Hopefully I didn't miss anyone, but um, yeah, thanks thanks for sticking around. That's all for now. Thanks for stopping in collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.